This is Ader and a Better. We are back from the Monterey Convention Center. This is Radio Row or Podcast Row. We're the one of one podcast. Or podcast <laughs> table. We're in an empty convention center and we're having the time of our lives. We're, we're joined by another guest. Elizabeth Lashley Haynes, public defender from Los Angeles County. Welcome. Woo-woo. How are you Thank doing? Thank you. Good, good. I'm so glad that you guys asked me to be here. It's yeah, exciting. we're Thank excited you. to have you. I mean, one of the things that we wanted to do coming here to Monterey and setting up the podcast here was to meet fellow public defenders from across the state so that you and our fellow freedom fighters can tell us your stories, what you're working on, what you're fired up about, why you're here, and then to talk about what's going on in L.A. County because it's a very unique set of circumstances down there. Is that That's to say the least? Good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, just for background, L.A. County has largest public defender's office in the state of California? Correct. How many lawyers? Approximately 650. Wow. Depends who you ask. Um, So we're slated for 700, but people don't like to say that. Hush, hush about that. We only have 650. Your secret's safe with us. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, We Um, have over a thousand employees. We have, I think our budget's about 250 million a year. So it's a giant office. And how long have you been a public defender down Um, in LA? I've been a PD for 15 years, straight out of law school, all I've ever done, all I ever wanted to do. So it's it's been my life. Yeah. And uh, what are you working on these days? What's your uh, assignment? I have a really unique assignment right now. I'm in our juvenile division and I'm called a resource attorney um, in a special little unit called the care unit. I work hand in hand with the trial attorney in juvenile court and I advocate for the kids involved in the delinquency system on the outside. So I'm their advocate at school. I'm their advocate when they need services in the community. I liaise with DCFS. I you know, really argue cool. on behalf of the kids in the school district for them to not get expelled. What I'm doing advocating for them on the outside, we try to bring that into the court and have the court consider that as part of the mm. disposition for the child. So, wow. for instance, you know, you have a kid who brings a gun to school, let's say, right? And I do an extensive family interview and I learn that mom's always had some concerns about his behavior, sounds a lot like autism to me. So then I will work with the trial attorney, we'll get the court to do a 730 to do a good neuropsych, we'll pick one that specializes in autism. Sure enough, the psych will come back and say, you know, he's definitely autistic. Mm. Then I will go, I'll apply at the regional center to get him services. And then the regional center will go through their process. Let's say he qualifies as a consumer. Then I'll take that back to the court and say, look, judge, he's been autistic. He's been showing signs of autism since he was three. And finally, everyone's recognizing it. Now the regional center is going to do in-home services. Let's send him back home. And now he's got all this support, you know, trying to convince the DA and the judge to give him a much better result based on what we've learned about this child and the services we're providing him in the community. I went to a I went to a presentation yesterday and it was about breaking kind of the normal textbook model of public defense. Yeah. And kind of not being limited by oh I've got my police report, I got my witnesses. Right. I got my charges, I got my time as the yeah. things. Yeah. And we were talking about participatory defense and we were talking okay. about immigration. Hearing about 
getting out of that courtroom in order to get better outcomes in that courtroom yeah. and for the person's life is fantastic. Right. right. Yeah, because the traditional ways would have be that same client would have just been thrown into a juvenile hall facility for X period of time. His mental health issues would probably have been exacerbated and then he eventually would have been released just part of the just revolving door. Just to cycle door, back in. And right. then into the adult system wow. as opposed right. to your intervention hopefully will have a more holistic kind of long lasting impact where everybody. You're breaking the wheel. Right. Yeah. right. But wasn't the system just set up to be the wheel? I mean, it was never set up for anybody to be breaking the wheel. You right. know, I mean, right. really, it's just set up so that the kids do cycle back in yeah. so that we can then they become adult clients and right. then they fill our adult prisons. How long has this program been available, this type of work that you've been doing? Our office has had it at least 15 years. Oh, wow. Could be longer, but it's been around for a while. And we've had other offices model programs similar to ours because it is quite unique. It's it's made up of eight attorneys doing what I'm doing and probably about 12 social workers. Wow. So it's social work heavy and we work really hand in hand. We're doing a lot of the same work, but the social workers are, are using their area of expertise. They're all licensed psychiatric social workers, so they come at it from a more clinical standpoint and we come at it from a more legal standpoint. So we'll go, we'll get in there with the school district and the social workers can kind of say, this is what I'm seeing in the family home. And I can kind of say, look, this is what you're legally bound to provide this child. So it's it's a great collaboration. That's, that sounds so cool. Is it something that you think that you'll continue to do? Like It's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm about to cycle back into trials. Yeah. Because so there's I've, some people that once they get into a into juvenile court, they just want to stay there. And so specialized. Because they love yes. working with the kids. They get used to the players in the, in the juvenile courthouse in the juvenile courtrooms but then there are others that go to juvie and they can't get out of there quick enough you know because it's not for everybody yes it's, it does like you said there is a lot of social work aspects to it a lot of public defenders are not it's not their comfort zone right and i would say what you just described is pretty much the same way it is in our office there are those who love it and have built their careers in the juvenile division and are experts and i have so much respect for them that they have truly built a, a unique expertise in juvenile and i think that's required yeah. i don't think people should just cycle in and no, out it's a complex area of law I mean, with a lot at stake especially with the transfer hearings now where Kids are looking at giant sentences. I think it's important to have those juvenile experts. And then there are the people in our office who are like, I can't do that. And I think it's because everyone agrees it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking being in juvenile. Right. I'm one of the weird people who I really like it. I really enjoy it. I've, got, I've been cycled in juvenile twice now in our office. But I also love adult trials, right. so I'm ready to go back to yeah. that. Yeah. And truly, I want to be doing capital work. Yeah, actually, I was just going to ask you, so we're at the Capital right. Defense Seminar. So what brings you here this weekend? Yeah, I've, I come to this periodically. I know I try to make it every year, and capital work is what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of um, a passion of mine, and it's hopefully what I will be doing soon. Even if I'm not currently doing capital work, I find that the speakers and the topics are so relevant to all of our practice. Yeah. I mean, there's excellent speakers on neuropsych, for instance, you know, on alcohol and drug and brain mm. development. Trauma. That's totally mm. relevant to everything I'm right. doing yeah. with my kids. That's all I'm seeing in juvenile. Is L.A. County a big uh, utilizer of the death penalty? Like, is that a common? It's an incredibly death penalty heavy DA's office. Hmm. And yeah. I believe, nobody asked, but I I'm believe asking, it's believe? because of the gang issues. And I yeah. believe 
believe it's because, you know, we, we society, the DA's office, want to execute the young black brown, and brown right. threatening men, right. you know, and that's why L.A. County is hyper obsessed with the death penalty. Mm. Wow. That's my opinion. I want to pivot dramatically because there's something really important to you that we have been slightly aware of as public defenders who are interested in what's happening in the state, but we wanted to ask you about it. Recently, there's been a, a vacancy for the lead public defender of L.A. County. The Board of Supervisors is responsible for filling that position. Am I right about that? Correct. It's an appointment rather than an elected position. I, I know San Francisco has an elected public defender. Uh, we work under an appointed public defender. My understanding is the vast majority of public defenders offices in California are appointed by the right. board. Public defenders offices to me seem very unique. They're like mission motivated underdogs fighting for their clients yeah. and are also lawyers who uh, tend not to take shit and are skeptical of authority figures in many ways. All that. <laughs> so what happened? Tell us what's going on so far. Recently, the Board of Supervisors appointed a new interim for six months. We've gone without a permanent public defender for over a year now. So our last consistent in-house public defender person who rose through the ranks, which is typically the way it happens, not sure about your county, but in our county, it's always been somebody from within. Mm -hmm. When that person retired, that was Ron Brown. So he retired, you know, like I said, a little over a year ago, and then they put another in-house person as interim while they were supposedly interviewing, going through the hiring process. Then that person left and they put in a new interim, which was a, a guy named Ken Clayman. Um, and he's a retired public defender from Ventura County, I believe. And he has done this interim gig at a couple other counties. So that kind of made sense. I mean, it was an outsider, which was a little awkward for us. He actually used to be an LA County public defender, mm -hmm. I believe back in the day. So he has a little bit of knowledge about our office right. and he's been a lifetime public defender. Yeah, so, so he has that credibility right. and that, and like he's part of the team. He's part of the team. I mean, that's exactly how I would describe it. We could accept him right away because he's part of the team, right? right? I mean, right. he gets it. So even though he was a kind of outsider, he was an insider, okay? And he could just jump in and roll right in. So then we had him for six months, and then we all knew that contract was ending after six months. Everybody's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then the board appoints an attorney named Nicole Tinkham, Nicole Davis Tinkham, who came from county council right, in, yeah. you know, county council are the attorneys who work for the county, represent a lot of various county interests, okay, including yeah. the interests of the board, okay. And law so, enforcement. And law enforcement. They, they divide up into divisions, okay. So there's a division that represents, um, I believe, the social workers as part of the DCFS system. And then there's a division that does whatever and whatever. But there is specifically a specialty of representing the sheriff's department mm -hmm. for L.A. County, which was the specialty that Ms. Tinkham worked in. A specialized practice on reasonable use of force, why an excessive force claim should be thrown out of court. Precisely. With specifically a case of a client that was ours. Okay. And how does how does the yeah. board stop and think about the conflict any, um, for a minute? So separate from defending police officers and other maybe institutional actors, does this person have any criminal experience? None whatsoever. Uh, like uh, criminal trials, misdemeanors, felonies? No, she's only practiced civil, as far as I understand. What about 
clients like ever pro bono for a, a client incarcerated in a jail as, mm. as she said anything like that no nothing <laughs> so she wouldn't she likely would not i mean I'll, I'll say it maybe you can say it too but she likely wouldn't even get hired as a deputy public defender one that's very much been put out there as a thought given because her experience or lack of experience lack of Commitment to social commitment justice to, to or social our justice population. And demonstrated um, commitment to our, our client populations. Absolutely. I mean, even if she had, you know, worked for legal aid in some capacity right, yeah. or the homeless services for and shown any type of interest or yeah, dedication yeah. to the Advocate people we serve. Yeah. yeah like I mean, so many folks contact us, Avi and me, I'm sure to you, that are trying to become public defenders and they have all kinds of public defender experience. They're trying to get their foot in the door and they can't even get hired to be, you know, temp attorneys in some of our offices because it's so competitive our in so many places, um, yes. let alone to get to get the top spot even for a day for the largest office our office is really competitive and it is i see young attorneys coming in and their resumes and their backgrounds are so impressive i mean top of their class at some of the top law schools just incredibly impressive backgrounds you know most of them speak multiple languages i'm just highly impressed by the new attorneys i see coming in our office so I don't know. I'm not I'm not even going to venture to <laughs> say that. But yeah. the point is, yeah. she doesn't have any of the relevant experience for even a young attorney walking in her office, not to mention the fact that she has less experience as an attorney than I do. Right. So you guys know how long I've been practicing. Yeah. So as an outsider, I think morale is very important in these types of organizations. You go into court every day and, and get your teeth knocked in a yes. lot of times. And it's important to have a leader who gets it. Yeah. Is the kind of the. Uh, kind of even a moral leader in a way, right? Like someone who can direct the office. You know, to to your point, I mean, when you and I got hired in our office, we had Mary Greenwood uh, as our public defender. We would have these attorney-only meetings, and she talked about client-centeredness, and she talked about making sure that we returned our clients' calls and going out to the jail and trying to be empathetic Mm -hmm. to our client situations. Living in the jail. Because she had done it. She had done it. She had practiced it. She was in the courts. She had been in the jails she had been with our clients and so she had credibility that she could speak to that galvanized us as as essentially the deputies that are going out into our courthouses in our jails i still remember those words to this day they they echo in my head because it came from my leader you know who was right leading us as we entered these battlegrounds every day that's a great point that you're making and immediately when this happened we were given almost no notice i mean i think a day or two before she was slated to start in our office we all had to kind of look her up figure out her background flush that out decide what that meant to us and to our clients and to our practice and I showed up at the next board meeting along with five of my colleagues um, and I spoke directly to the board and someone asked like, oh, are you going to take the day off or something? And I said, no, this is a work day for me because I represent my client's best interests on a daily basis. That's my job. And part of my job is going to go to the board and tell the board that this is not in the best interests of my clients. And that was my message to the board. And I said, this is part of my representation of my clients. 
I said, because the board needs to hear that they can't put someone in charge of our office who knows absolutely nothing about what it takes to defend my client, what it means to be my client, you know, to be mentally ill, to be indigent, to be on the fringes. She has no concept of that. And so I had to go directly for my own peace of mind and tell the board that my clients deserve better than that. And that was my sole message was that the board doesn't just get to run over my clients because they want to save a buck or whatever their intentions were, but that my clients deserved better than that. And that's what all of our message has been. All of the public defenders that have been raising issues with this appointment is our message has been clients first and it's been hashtag clients first. And that's what it's been about is we need the board to hear the message that our clients are the most important thing in the world to us. We don't care if it's judges, police officers, whoever that we have to battle for our clients or if it's the new head of our office. We're ready to battle on behalf of our clients. You had a rally this week, I saw. Um, What is happening like what what what's the status of this is is she literally in the head office like as oh of, yeah as of this morning and she's been in the head office like two weeks ago when right. we had that rally she was in the head office and or in the corner office what's happening is the is the board giving an inch are they receptive to the movement that's going on amongst uh, you and your public defender colleagues and the community that's galvanizing behind you all or is it is it setting up to be this this six-month battle that's i about think to so I think it is it it appears as though it's going to be a six month battle, but we're very clear that this was just the beginning, not the end for us. And we want to continue our message to the board that our clients deserve better, that she's not the appropriate person for the job, and they're more than welcome to rescind it. You know, they don't have to just dig their heels in if they possibly made a mistake or or didn't quite think this through. We're encouraging them to rescind this and pick someone who has a more appropriate background. Yeah, this is a time where like, it's recognized in terms of the work we do in communities outside of the courtroom, like specifically the type of work you do on behalf of your clients. Yes. Your input, I feel like, should be taken more seriously. You know, it, it should be recognized even more seriously these days. There's going to be resource decisions, right? Like how yes. many attorneys mm-hmm. go to a certain branch? And like when I'm working on a case, I go to my bosses. Sometimes I have to justify certain things that I want to happen in my cases, you know, in terms of expense requests, experts, things like that, things that I think I need. And I've never walked away from one of those conversations feeling like my bosses don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's client centered approach. I mean, exactly. Like you said, clients first, you're going to walk out of those meetings with an understanding that your, your leader is client centered as opposed to, like you said, county centered or uh, trying to save a dollar for the county or trying to reorient the the structure of the organization for some sort of long-term financial benefit whatever right. it might be those are all great points i mean it's like you need to have faith in your leader you need to feel like especially in our job you need to feel like your your leader has walked the walk and talked the talk and then you need somebody who understands what's going on and understands there's such pressing issues right now i mean yeah. Everyone's, you know, talking about mass incarceration and we're dealing with bail reform and we're dealing with crazy immigration issues coming from the White House. You know, they're impacting people on the streets, uh, our clients on a daily basis. There's, you know, immigration is a hot issue right now. Bail reform is a hot issue. We need somebody who's been passionate and knowledgeable and in that conversation, not somebody who's new to it and has no idea what's going on. And then at the end of the day is 
her response to those issues and to our clients going to be based on what's best for our clients? Or is it going to be based on, well, the county, the budget, the liability to the right. county? Where are her yeah. allegiances? Right. And, and by the way, uh, you know, the what's good for the bottom line is not a very efficient way to think about public defense where you have a right to effective assistance of counsel. You know, I can afford to have my teams have five additional clients or, right. you know, I can afford to have people in trial back to back to back to back to back, you know, whatever it is. Right. Those decisions that appear to be kind of efficient decisions or bottom line decisions, it's not a grocery store. It's not a, it's not a gas station, right. right? This isn't a good that's distributed that way. Not only are you going to crush the people who are actually working, it does not, it does not save a dollar. Right. You know, there's a premise that you're doing all these cuts on or this bullshit on. There's a premise. Yeah. And the premise is totally bogus. And it's the polar opposite of a commodity. You know, what we're defending and and the things that we need resources for are the polar opposite of that. They're the most important things in life. Yeah. Their liberty, their freedom, their people's lives when it comes to death penalty cases. I mean, it's the most important thing in in your family member's life when they're involved in the court system. Everything's on the line. And the board sort of is treating this as some kind of joke. We did get some response to to go back to your question of Mm -hmm. kind of where are we at and what happened after the rally. I believe that two members of the board have one issued a statement, one was on a radio show. We are hoping that they're paying attention. I mean, if you followed anything from the rally, Brandon Woods from Alameda, and Scott Sanders from Orange County were both there supporting us. And they both said, you know, as members of the bar, Brendan, as head of the CPDA, said, we're watching L.A. County. We're watching what yeah. the next move is. I hope that the board hears that message that we are a strong team up and down the state, right. you know, and we stand up for each other and we watch out for each other. We had a lot of community support there, too. We got together a lot of our community partners, you know, our formerly incarcerated people were there supporting us, moms of incarcerated, and a lot of reentry programs that we work with were there. And the whole community is with us in saying to the board, this isn't fair. I mean, these are our clients. These are public defender clients. These are our clients, too. You know, there are clients that we see in our agencies, and they're all people that we care about. I had, you know, moms from my kids' school who showed up and sort of said, I think this is an important issue. They're not even remotely involved in the criminal justice system, but they care. They're like, these are residents of L.A. County, and they matter to me. And that was heartwarming for me to see all the people who showed up. This is so hard on, this is hard enough. This work is extremely hard. And turning the screws on the public defenders for no apparent reason. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't really make sense to me. You know, the board said that they, that they believe that we have some internal issues and management issues that need to be worked out. And they were interested in doing a management audit. And that's all fine and good if the board wants to do that. And, but we questioned why someone with her background and they keep saying that Ms. Tinkham has this wonderful background in employment law and that she's going to, her and her team, so not only did they bring her, but they brought about four or five people all together, all from county council, all civil lawyers, um, and one paralegal. Now, recently, the head, Sheila Kuehl, has claimed that after the rally, she put out a statement claiming that that's why we sent over people from county council who are ex-public defenders 
we've done some research and none of them are public defenders. So we're all kind of confused about that. I think that was a little bit of PR mixed in there. But, you know, facts, alternative facts these days, people can just kind of say whatever they want. She once interned at the public defender's office office for a summer during high school. Did a a pro (laughs) bono bono case one afternoon. Did an expungement. Okay. Likes the public defenders. Yeah. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate everything you're doing. Keep up the good fight. Keep fighting. We we will give you a eight or in a better uh, hat or t-shirt. <laughs> Excellent. That's, that's why I did that's this, the, that's really. What it is, so <laughs> that was the whole reason. <laughs> okay. All right. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you. Later.